Welcome to the Blue Collar Scholar. I am your host, Will Wrights. I load freight with a forklift. I have been a bus driver and a substitute teacher, and I am a history graduate student. I am an ordained pastor, and I hope to become a history professor. In this podcast, we will explore history, theology, pop culture, current events, and perhaps a few other topics along the way. The Blue Collar Scholar is written, recorded, and edited by Will Wrights. The opening and closing music is Lo-Fi Summer Background by Vladislav Kurnikov from Pixabay. The purpose of this podcast is to educate. Use and distribution of this podcast can only be done by the express written permission of the content creator of this podcast. However, if you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it if you liked and subscribed to Blue Collar Scholar in Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast distributor. Writing a review, leaving a five-star rating, and sharing links in your social media platform is also much appreciated. Thank you for joining us. Well, good evening, friends and family. It's good to be back on the podcast. Uh, In today's edition of the podcast, we are going to talk about Galatians and the two letters to the Thessalonians. Uh, But before that, I'm going to share a portion of the lecture where we talk a little bit about the background of the author of those letters, and that's the Apostle Paul. In fact, this lecture included all the discussion about Galatians and Thessalonians as well. However, I did not have a fully charged battery in my voice recorder. So our lecture gets cut off abruptly right in the middle. So I will be sharing with you the lecture up to that point, and then I will be joining you again on the podcast to complete the lecture podcast style as we talk about, well, briefly talk about Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, and 2 Thessalonians. In retrospect, however, and the ladies who were at the lecture that night could probably attest to this, we went off on some significant bunny trails. So it was probably good that the voice recorder only picked up some of the lecture anyway. So we will avoid all of those bunny trails. We will talk directly about Galatians and Ephesians. But first, without further ado, here's the portion of the lecture where I talk about the background of the author of these letters, the author by the name of the Apostle Paul. Welcome, everybody, to class tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about... Uh, Galatians and Thessalonians. Now, usually when we talk about the text, I'm going to be a little bit more. I'm going to focus on individual text, but as I explained to you guys earlier, my my notes got shredded in the great unknown. So, um, I'm going to be running a lot on memory with some of this stuff. So, we're going to get broad strokes on both of the books. I think what we're going to do tonight instead, since this is the first time we're talking about individual texts, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Paul. So, because he's going to be the one we, his writings are who, what we're going to focus on now for a couple weeks. So, who is uh, Paul? Well, first of all, Paul does not appear in any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. It appears that he did not know Jesus. The story of Acts creates a narrative that goes a little something like this. Paul grows up in a city of Tarsus. So it's not part of Israel proper. It's it's up north. Tarsus would be, if, if the map in my mind is correct, right about where the modern states of Syria and Turkey meet, due north of Israel. So, so quite a ways away from, from Israel, but Tarsus had a significant Jewish population. 
Tarsus was also quite a multicultural town. So there was quite a few Greeks. It was right in the middle of a trade route. If you think, let me see if I can pull up a map so I can show you if Tarsus is where I think it is. In fact, on this map, Tarsus, right there. It's in Cilicia. Now, I had thought Tarsus was up here right at the joint, right where Turkey and Syria meet. It's a little further. It's it's deeper into into modern-day Turkey. Uh, it's still due north of Israel, but it's still pretty much on these trade routes. So if you're if you're trading between Greece or Asia Minor and Judea, you're going to have to either get in a boat or all your land routes are going to go right through this area around Antioch, which is where Christians first got... Uh, that, Antioch was the city where they first started calling Christians Christians. And then Tarsus, so right here in this area, you're pretty much going to have to go through here if you have any trade routes going through here. In fact, Paul's first missionary journey, really, except for uh, uh, except for the, the the voyage over here to Cyprus, and of course Cyprus is on trade routes too, is a significant island. But all of the of Paul's initial journey follows a lot of the, these early trade routes. So if you were coming from, let's say you were a a merchant in Thessalonica and you wanted to use the land route instead of the sea route. You're going to go over here to Thrace, and then you're going to go either all the way over here to Byzantium, modern-day Istanbul, or usually you're going to cross over here by Troy, uh, by this point in history called Troas. And then you follow, you're going to hug the coastline, or you're going to cut across land right through here. So you're, you're going to see a lot of cities that sound familiar from the book of Revelation, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, but also Paul's first missionary journey also uh, comes right through here through all of these towns on the trade route. So Derby, Lystra, Iconium, all this area is where Paul and Barnabas spend a lot of their earliest missionary journeys. In fact, the only missionary journey Paul and Barnabas will have together. For Paul's second missionary journey, he is joined by Silas because Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement about whether Barnabas's cousin Mark should be on the second missionary journey. So this is a, a lot of what Paul does is going to follow trade routes. It's not like Paul says, well, to heck with all these people up here, they don't need the gospel. But Paul's, well, first of all, this is where Paul's from. So he's going to know these areas well anyway. So it's going to be cultures he's familiar with, trade routes he's familiar with, the same roads and highways, uh, a lot of the same people. He's probably going to have connections in a lot of these towns. It's not until a second missionary journey where he steps out of his comfort zone and actually comes over here to Europe. So, who is Paul? Well, Paul appears to have uh, been a, a budding Jewish scholar of some kind. He says that he was trained at the foot of Gamaliel. Gamaliel makes an appearance in the book of Acts. He's a member of the greater Jewish council. So if I, if I know my Jewish council's right, which might not be true, it's not necessarily part of the biblical story I've studied in depth, but there were groups of priests that, would, that, that lived closer to Jerusalem and they acted kind of like, uh, like a, the cabinet, like the president's cabinet. They would meet more regularly and make, make decisions. But the larger groups, the Sanhedrin, would meet and you'd have this larger uh, meetings and Gamaliel was part of that. So he's, he's not from real near Jerusalem. Nevertheless, Gamaliel had a 
an extraordinary reputation of being perhaps the best Jewish scholar of his day. And Paul learned from him. Paul studied under Gamaliel. Now, as far as we can tell, Gamaliel never became a Christian. But Gamaliel is one of the ones that convinced the Jewish council not to execute Peter and John when they were preaching early in the book of Acts. He's the one that said, come out and said, well, listen guys, these guys may be heretics or they may be from God. And if they're from God, we're not going to be able to stop them. And if they're heretics, their message is probably going to fall apart anyway, so just let them go. Let them do their thing. That's, that was Gamaliel. So Paul learned at the feet of Gamaliel, and early on, Paul's reaction to the growing church was negative. Very negative. So Stephen, who is, all, like Paul, is, does not appear in the, in the story of Jesus. In Stephen's case, probably because he was too young. He might have been young, maybe even pre-teenager. Uh, during Jesus' ministry. So Stephen may have seen Jesus at some point, but he wasn't anywhere close to an adult during that time. But by the time you get a few chapters into Acts, Stephen is one of the men that gets chosen to help aid the apostles so that the apostles can focus on theology and ministry, you know, building the church. And they set aside seven deacons to serve food, to make sure... The, the orphans and widows got fed, and also to make sure that there wasn't any uh, discrimination between the, uh, the Jews and the Gentiles in the church in, in need. Stephen was one of those one of those fellows. It wasn't long after Stephen was appointed as one of the first deacons that he finds himself in the temple. He has been brought there to answer uh, for uh, some of his work and some of the, the evangelism he's been doing, and he gives. Uh, the longest speech in the book of Acts. And he basically goes through Jewish history, giving highlights and then concluding with, and uh, and you guys all killed the Lord of glory, which the crowd's like, well, that's all we need to hear, and they stone him. And I mentioned that earlier when Stephen's, Stephen looks up and he sees Christ standing at the, at the foot of the cross, which is a significant event. That's a, a parallel event to what happens at a, um, at a triumph when a, when a general receives the honor from the emperor for the emperor standing in the in the presence of a general even though it should be the other way around it's it's a it's a scene of high honor so stephen gets honored as the first martyr acts tells us that paul wasn't necessarily a stone thrower but it said that they laid their cloaks at the foot of paul which seems to indicate or as saul he, he's not going by paul yet which seems to indicate that paul was some kind of organizer that Paul was deeply involved in this event. And then it goes from that event straight into describing Paul's leading a posse running around the countryside and trying to root out Christians, trying to expose them and persecute them. Maybe kill? Paul doesn't actually mention that he actually killed anyone, but it certainly seems probable that he... he put some Christians in prison, at least. If not, killed, killed some of them. Or that he imprisoned them and, and somebody else killed them, like the, like the um, I don't know, the one, somebody in Herod's court or, or somebody, uh, maybe the temple guard, somebody like that. Stephen says, don't hold this charge to these people. And I think that releases Saul to be Paul. 
that's a really good observation. I actually wasn't going to make that observation, which is good. That when Stephen, like Christ before him, says, in effect, I don't think the words are identical, but basically, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. When Stephen mirrors Jesus when he says that, Paul is part of that crowd. And so God does forgive and recruit Paul. Now, the Bible is replete with examples of people having their name changed by God. So, Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai, or Sarai, depending on your pronunciation, becomes Sarah. Jacob becomes Israel. Simon becomes Peter. That's a significant one. But in some cases, people just had two different names based on their cultural identity. So, the book of Esther tells the story of Hadessa, whose Persian name was Esther. And with Saul and Paul you would think that the name change was significant because Paul had one of the most significant character metamorphoses in the Bible. But it actually does not appear that his name change to Paul was anything more significant than, at a certain point in the book of Acts, his influence changed from primarily Jewish to then primarily Greek. Because Saul of Tarsus is his name and Saul is a Jewish name. But Paulos is a Greek name that sounds a lot like Saul, especially in English. And so it appears like that when Paul was with Greeks, he was called Paul, or Paulos. And when Saul was with Jews, he was called Saul. There might be a more significant, there might be something significant to the name change, but Scripture doesn't seem to indicate that there was. In fact, the first time Paul is call, Saul is called Paul in the book of Acts, uh, Luke, who is the author of says, and then Saul went, parentheses, he was also called Paul. And then from that moment on, he's always called Paul in the book of Acts. There, there's not like, like with, in Peter's case, Jesus actually says, you are Simon, son of Jonah, but from now on you will be known as Peter, for I will make you, you know, the rock upon which this church is built, that kind of thing. So with, in Peter's case, it was definitely a, a, the name change was a significant part of his um, Story with Paul, it does not actually appear to be the case. That it, it just appears like, as a, as a very multicultural man, he was able to have a name that reflected each culture. If you've ever met a foreign exchange student from an Asian nation, uh, from a college, almost always they're going to going to they're going to choose an English or an American name to go by while they're here. Because most of us and our tricky, you know, we, we just we slip over their names. And, and I'm not saying their names are weird. I'm saying we don't have the ability to pronounce their totally normal Asian names. Uh, so a lot of times they'll choose uh, a name that, 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 they, that they like. So Paul, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to the naming tradition. He's still, he's still known in the book of Acts as Saul at this point. So, so Saul is working hard to try to persecute the church. And while on the road to Damascus, from Jerusalem to Damascus is, I mean, it's a, it, it, it veers east, but for all intents and purposes, it's straight north. And Damascus today is the capital of Syria, and there's not a, a large Jewish population there today. Uh, in the, at this point in history, there was. There was a significant Jewish population. Paul was on the, on the road to Damascus in order to root out Christians in the synagogues of Damascus. And while on, according to the book of Acts, while on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to Paul. Luke tries really hard to make it clear that this is not just a vision. 
that Jesus appeared to Paul. It's not like Jesus' appearances after his resurrection where like he, he comes alongside two disciples who were walking to Emmaus and they didn't even recognize him. In this case, Jesus appears in extraordinary glory. So it, it's, it's Jesus' most unique resurrection experience to be sure. But the book of Acts is clear that the other people who were with him saw the light and heard something. But Jesus appeared to Paul specifically. If it was just a vision, the other people wouldn't have experienced it. But it was something between a resurrection experience and a vision because only Paul heard the voice as a voice and only Paul saw the Lord. And Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he and, and basically blinds Paul. So Paul has to go to Damascus and then the same people he was going to root out are, are the ones that then come beside him, lead him officially to the Lord. Interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't do his own evangelism. Instead, Jesus sends. Is it Ananias? Ananias, yes. I was trying to think because we got to be. Yeah. Jesus sends Ananias, not to be confused with the other Ananias of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira, who uh, hid the amount of money they were, were giving to the church, and so the Holy Spirit struck them dead. We'll get to that when we talk about Acts. But yes, Ananias was a disciple in Damascus. And so one of the people Saul was going to persecute actually leads Paul to the Lord and then Paul starts ministering right then and there. Because he's already he's been trained at the foot of Gamaliel. He knows the Old Testament. And there is no New Testament yet. Paul is still a good decade away from beginning his first missionary trip and he won't start writing until after that first missionary trip. And it's possible James was written before Galatians, but I don't tend to think so. I think Galatians is the first words written in, in, in the New Testament. So Paul doesn't have a New Testament yet. What he has is the Old Testament, which he already knows pretty well. Well, welcome back, friends and family. As you can tell, the lecture kind of cut out abruptly there. We're going to end, we're going to take this opportunity to end the discussion of Paul, although I'm sure during my lecture uh, I did go on with some other topics, but that was pretty much a good place to end the discussion of Paul as the author, and now is a good time to begin discussion of Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, and 2 Thessalonians, which after all was the purpose uh, of this lecture for the New Testament class that I'm teaching. Now, I did allude to in the lecture, you probably heard me say that I lost my notes for this class. I'm not asking for apology or sympathy, but it's one of those things where I have a full-time job, 50 hour a week, and I'm also taking a class to try to earn my master's degree in history, so I only have so much time during the day. And the notes that I had created for this class weren't that great to begin with. They weren't as, as detailed as I would like, and then I couldn't find them. In fact, I still haven't found them. So what you're about to hear now as I conclude this podcast is I'm going to give a real brief outline of some of what I talked about uh, in class the other night. And then we're going to wrap it up and get ready. The next podcast episode will be about Romans. So first of all, let's talk about Galatians. Is Galatians the newest, or excuse me, is Galatians the oldest 
book in the New Testament? I firmly believe that it is. And here is why. There's actually two theories on where uh, on what Galatians is talking about. The Galatians, the, the group of people, are actually Celtic in origin. In class we showed a map to show the modern Celts. And modern Celts live in Ireland, Wales, the Cornish tip of England, Scotland, and also the peninsula of Brittany in France. But hundreds, a few thousand years ago, hundreds of years ago, the Celts were spread out much further across Europe. In fact, probably the furthest the Celts spread out was into modern-day Turkey, the coastline of the Black Sea along the southern part of the Black Sea, so the northern part of modern-day Turkey, was a Galatian area. They were the Celtic peoples known as the Galatians, who are closely related to the Celtic, Celtic peoples known as the Gauls. And Roman Gaul is modern-day France. So you can see the Celtic people were spread throughout the central part of Europe, all the way from Ireland to Turkey. These days, the Celtic people in that area have pretty much blended into uh, the people groups around them, uh, or and or they've migrated away. There's not a significant Celtic presence, or at least not a significant presence of people who identify themselves as either Celtic or Galatia, Galatian in Turkey today. Nevertheless, during Paul's day, there was a significant uh, people group along the northern or the northern coast of Turkey or the southern coast of the Black Sea that were known as Galatians. So for a long time most people assumed that this letter was to those people, the Galatians. If that's the case then we have to assume that the book of Galatians, or the epistle to the Galatians, was written quite late in Paul's ministry because there's nowhere in Acts that describes Paul taking a trip that far north in into what is now Turkey. In fact all of Paul's journeys pretty much hug the coastline uh, as, it, as he follows trade routes through Asia Minor, or Eastern Turkey today, and along uh, areas and both islands and mainland Greece, and then later into uh, islands such as Crete and Malta and Italy. Church tradition tells us that perhaps he went as far as Spain. But for the most part, Paul tended to stick to coastlines and trade routes. If he did have a trip to the Galatians, and the book of Galatians does indicate that uh, he is speaking to people who he's had a previous relationship with, then we have to assume this trip to Galatia was after the events of Acts, which would put Galatians probably as one of his last books, to be honest with you. Most modern evangelical scholars no longer accept this because we've begun to understand that the word Galatia kind of meant two different things. Now it's possible that the way the Romans organized things that the, the trade route cities in the south were all kind of part of the same state. Oh, a good example might be Maryland today, how the, uh, the western part of Maryland kind of extends out like a tail. Or, or like Oklahoma does the same thing where you might be smack dab in the middle of that tail or that panhandle and you're surrounded by other states. The heart of your state is actually very far away. The same might have been true of Galatia where the heart of, of the Galatian territories was in the Celtic areas along the Black Sea 
but some of the areas that the Romans considered to be Galatian would have been the the cities toward the south in Asia Minor, the the same cities where Paul's first missionary journey traveled to, cities like Lystra and Iconium and Derby. Or there was just two areas called Galatia. For some reason you had the North Galatia and then for other reasons maybe you had a South Galatia. I kind of tend towards maybe the, the first option where the trade route cities that we're familiar with, the ones that Paul went to on his first missionary journey, are all somehow connected with the area to the north. But there's no indication that Paul ever went to the north. There's no indication that Paul actually went to the areas where the Celts or the Galatians were a majority group. Instead, he went to, as you can see in the book of Acts, he went to some of those cities in the south, like Lystra and Derby and Iconium. And those uh, cities along the trade routes were considered Galatia. So why would Paul refer to them as Galatians, why not just refer to them as the individual cities? In fact, Paul wrote letters to all kinds of individual cities like uh, Thessaloniki or Thessalonica, uh, which is the other, book we're, the other books we're going to talk about tonight, First and Second Thessalonians, as well as Corinth and Rome and, and other, a lot of other places where Paul wrote to, he just wrote to individual cities. So why write to an a entire group? And if, if that's the case, why refer to them by this confusing term Galatia? Well, I don't think it was confusing at the time. In the same way, if you were speaking to a room in which you knew the people in the room were all British, but some of them were English, some of them were Cornish, some of them were Welsh, some of them Scottish, and some from, uh, say, the Isle of Man or Northern Ireland, about the only word you can use would be British. It's about the only word that would make sense for all of them. You can't call them all English. They're not all English. So in the same way, you can't refer to a, a group of people from a different cities who you're writing to. You can't refer to them all as people from Derby or Iconium. They're not. But if you refer to them all as being part of the region that is either called Galatians or is connected to the larger group of Galatians, then that's about the best word you can come up with to refer to all of them. And I believe that Paul indicated for this letter to be shared widely amongst the, the churches, all the churches that he had already ministered to. Well, if you accept the Southern Galatian theory, then this actually allows us to put Galatians as Paul's earliest writings. He is writing to the churches that he visited on his first missionary journey. So here's some support for that theory. One, Paul mentions Barnabas in the book of Galatians. Barnabas is Paul's, I almost want to say mentor. It seems like in the book of Acts that Barnabas went out of his way to recruit Paul to go uh, on mission. And then after the first missionary journey between Paul and Barnabas, they had a falling out because Barnabas wanted to take his cousin John Mark. But the problem is they had already taken John Mark on mission and John Mark got homesick and left. And so when they're getting ready for the second missionary journey, Barnabas wants to give Mark a, a second chance, and Paul does not want to give Mark a second chance. So we don't know exactly how it went down, whether it was an amicable split or maybe it was quite ugly. But the fact that Paul never mentions Barnabas again is kind of an indication that maybe it was an ugly split. Barnabas takes John Mark, and they go one way, and Paul takes Silas uh, as his new missionary partner and they go a different direction and thus begins the second missionary journey. 
So by mentioning Barnabas, this indicates that the book of Galatians, or the epistle, the letter to the Galatians, was written before the split between Paul and Barnabas. So this letter might have begun its composition while the first missionary journey was still going on, maybe on their way back home. Certainly before the Council of Jerusalem. And the reason I say that, Council of Jerusalem, Acts 15, I believe, the reason I say that is because the Council of Jerusalem met to discuss issues related to, relating to uh, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, being added to the church. And they seem to have settled the issue of circumcision at the Council of Jerusalem. But in the book of Galatians, Paul's still talking about it as an issue. He's dealing with it. It is kind of his primary theological issue in the letter to the epistles, which indicates that perhaps, excuse me, in the epistle to the Galatians, which seems to indicate that this letter was written before the council met, maybe before it, it concluded, but it seems to be before the council met. If Paul was writing after the council of Jerusalem, you would think that he would be appealing to the decision made by the church elders at the council of Jerusalem, but he doesn't. And so, the mention of Barnabas, but not mentioning the Council of Jerusalem, seems to indicate this is a very early letter, and almost certainly the earliest thing that Paul writes. So who is he writing to? Well, he's writing to the people in these churches that he met on his first, first missionary journey in an, uh, along the trade routes in what apparently was a southern extension of the area known as Galatia. Paul also mentions in the book of Galatians that he has a public confrontation with Peter, which is a very interesting moment which you would hope would have been in the book of Acts, but it wasn't for whatever reason. The issue was, and this is the main theological contention of the book, the reason why Paul is writing the book, is because there seems to be a problem with a group of Judaizers. Now, there is some disagreement with who these Judaizers were exactly, but the text seems to indicate that they were proclaimed Christians, perhaps even Paul's converts, who were so enamored with the Old Testament law that they wanted everybody to become Jewish. So that leaves options that these were Jewish converts, people who already knew the, the, the law, and had come under some kind of personal conviction that they needed to stick to their original religious convictions, the Law of Moses, as well as new convictions uh, as being saved by grace through Jesus Christ. Or, they were Gentile Christians who, after coming to Christ, then went to their scriptures, which are just the Old Testament. There is no New Testament written yet. Galatians is the first words written in the New Testament. And so they don't have a New Testament yet. They go to the Old Testament and lo and behold, after reading the Old Testament, they feel like they need to be obeying uh, Jewish rites and customs and ceremonies and laws. There's other possibilities that the Judaizers were perhaps, perhaps had some kind of something else going on, some kind of Gnostic or proto-Gnostic beliefs or systems. I've heard some, some discussions of this, and I'm, I'm open to it, but I think the more simple reading of the text is that there were people that wanted the Christian church to become more Jewish. And perhaps even 
that the Christians would become an extension of Judaism and, and less of a faith based on Christ, but more of a law, or more of a religion based on law, the Old Testament law, that just happened to acknowledge Christ as Messiah. So Paul was writing to counter this. The mention of Peter comes because when Peter comes to one of apparently one of these churches, and they they meet together, and then other Jews come from Jerusalem, presumably Christian Jews, but Jewish people, easily identifiable Jewish people. Peter then stopped meeting with the Gentiles in the church, and Paul called him out on it, that the church needs to be a universal church, that Jews and Gentiles both have their place in the church, but we are all the church together. And so, who wrote the gospel of the Galatians, excuse me, who wrote the epistle to the Galatians? Paul did. When did he write it? He wrote it very early, probably 48, 49 AD, somewhere in that range, before the Council of Jerusalem, probably just after the first missionary journey ended. And he is writing to the, tr the cities along the trade route in Asia Minor, the same cities he went to with Barnabas in his first, first missionary journey. The next youngest books, excuse me, the next oldest books in the New Testament are 1 Thessalonians, and we'll talk about 2 Thessalonians in a second. 2 Thessalonians might not be quite as early as Galatians and 1 Thessalonians, but let's start with 1 Thessalonians. The first thing that stands out when you read 1 Thessalonians is that Paul's not the only acknowledged writer. The first epistle to the Thessalonians is acknowledged to have been written by Paul and Silas and Timothy. So this comes clearly after, obviously because he's writing to the Thessalonians as well. We'll get to that in a second. But Paul starts the second missionary journey with Silas as his partner. And then early in that missionary journey, Timothy joins up. Timothy, Silas is Jewish. Timothy is half Jewish. And together they proceed in, in, on the missionary journey. Somewhere in the early stages of the second missionary journey, Paul receives a vision of a man of Macedonia and believes that it is his call to go to Europe. So he goes to Philippi, the port city of the Macedonians. And then the second city he goes to is Thessalonica, other, also known as Thessaly in ancient history. And I believe, I don't know how to pronounce it in the modern Greek tongue, but Thessaloniki, I believe, is the modern name of the city. It is on the coastline of Greece. Most cities in Greece are on the coastline. It's on the coastline of Greece towards the north end. And so this indicates that the letter was written after Paul joined up with Silas and Timothy and after he has already met with the Thessalonians. And since he's writing to them, he's not currently in Thessalonica. The theory that I seem to read the most is that Paul is probably in Corinth, still on the second missionary journey, and he writes back to the Thessalonians. Now, something I forgot to mention about Galatians. Galatians stylistically feels like an early letter of Paul. He's a little bit more hot-headed. He's a little bit more personal than he, he is in later books. The, the longer Paul goes along, the more polished his Greek is, the more um, well-argued his positions are. Galatians feels like, now I wouldn't say a first draft or a first attempt, it just feels like somebody who's, who's newer at this. 
Second, or First Thessalonians also kind of seems to carry this feeling of Paul being kind of new at this. Over half of First Thessalonians is dealing with kind of personal issues where he's he's uh, fleshing out his own personal relationship with the Thessalonians and some of the stuff he's going to. When Paul finally gets to the point, he seems to be talking about end times related themes for the parousia or the appearing of Christ seems to be a big deal with the Thessalonians. And Paul so Paul addresses the issue. He in in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 he deals directly with the issue of the second return of Christ and he uh, says to encourage each other with this information. So with 1 Thessalonians written uh, during the second missionary journey, we're probably talking around 52 AD. So if you're doing the math, this is a little less than 20 years after the death of Christ. So this is pretty early. This is pretty early along the line. Now, a few things about 1 Thessalonians is, we're going to see here in a second, there is some disagreement about who wrote 2 Thessalonians. Most scholars tend to acknowledge Paul as the author of both Galatians and 1 Thessalonians. There, there's always going to be a few outliers who, who deny pretty much anything that has to do with the Bible. There's going to be somebody to champion a view that denies a teaching or the, the authenticity of, of every part of the Bible. Everything's going to be challenged by someone. And not just quacks and kooks. I don't want to be uh, unkind here. There are some really good scholars out there who disagree about a, a variety of things. Nevertheless, the overwhelming Christian scholarly position is that Paul wrote Galatians and 1 Thessalonians, and the solid secular scholarly position is that Paul wrote uh, 1, 1 Thessalonians and the, the epistle to the Galatians. But what about 2 Thessalonians? 2 Thessalonians gets a little trickier. Allow me to quote, I'm, pull, I'm looking at, at my uh, notes here to make sure I quote correctly. Ernest Best, in a uh, work he wrote uh, in 1972 called The First and Second Epistles to the Thessalonians, he writes this, If we only possessed Second Thessalonians, few scholars would doubt that Paul wrote it. But when Second Thessalonians is put alongside First Thessalonians, then doubts appear. There is a great dissimilarity between the two. This is not only one of words, small phrases and concepts, but extends to the total structure of the two letters, which is in addition to different which is in addition different from what is taken to be standard Pauline form. At the same time, the second letter is alleged to be less intimate and personal than, than the first. And in some of its teachings, particularly in relation to eschatology, which means study of the end times, uh, to conflict with the first. End of quote. Well, first thing I want to say is that this argument based on dissimilarity is, is one you're going to find a lot when you read scholars about the composition of the New Testament. I have never been bothered too much by dissimilarities between books because a lot of these books were written by secretaries. There's actually a word for it, aminusis. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure I just butchered that word, but there's a word for it where it was a common practice for the author of a book to basically dictate 
a book or a letter, and then somebody who is either volunteering or maybe is a professional who's really good at uh, penmanship and uh, Greek composition would, would write things down. Paul admits to this. The, the epistle to the Romans, for instance, we know that the guy who wrote everything down, who actually put pen to paper, his name was Tertius. He identifies himself in Romans 16. That doesn't mean Paul didn't write Romans. Paul absolutely wrote Romans. And so the options to explain the differences between First and Thessalonians, the first and most obvious option is that Paul either wrote one and hired a secretary to write the other, or Paul hired two different secretaries to write both uh, letters, that, that they were written by hand by two different people, which doesn't bother me. And if you are a Christian, it shouldn't bother you either. That is perfectly normal practice for the time. Now, as for the letter being less personal, that's because I believe Second Thessalonians is not written as early as most scholars seem to think so. Most scholars who accept that Paul wrote both letters seem to indicate that both letters belong early, that perhaps even that after Galatians and Thessalonians, that 2 Thessalonians is the earliest letter. So it would be the third thing Paul wrote. I have two reasons for disagreeing with that. The first one is I'm not entirely sure why Paul would write two different letters to the same church on the same trip. It seems to me like if he was going to write a different letter, it would be maybe some time later, that some time later he would write to them. But secondly, it's the same thing that the professor best indicated in the, the line I quoted earlier, and that is that there does seem to be some differences in Paul's theology. This is not uh, overly troublesome. Paul is a human. Paul, Paul develops his thoughts over time. I believe that the longer he thought about, especially eschatology, study of the end times, the more, he, the more thought he put into it, the more developed his thoughts became. And in that way, if you read First and Second Thessalonians together, you will see developed teaching, developed theology on the idea of the parousia, which means the second coming or the, the appearing of Christ. And Second Thessalonians adds other thoughts as far as like the man of lawlessness, which uh, some evangelicals uh, take that to be the Antichrist or the beast as described in the book of Revelation, which may or may not be true. I think it's that's possible. I think it's possible he's talking about maybe one of the Caesars. It's possible he's talking about both. Who knows? That you see a double fulfillment prophecy in Scripture quite often. The, the point is that there are some subtle differences in the teachings between first and second Thessalonians. Uh, a third option that just came to me is it these letters, all of these letters, are, are almost always written because of some reason. There's usually some kind of disagreement, some kind of personal problem, uh, some kind of uh, political issue, some kind of sin issue in the church. There's almost always a reason Paul is writing a letter to a church. So it is possible that the church in Thessalonica has been discussing the end times and maybe they went from one extreme to another and Paul's trying to guide them to the middle course, to the guide them to the truth. And so th for these reasons, it would make sense uh, that perhaps this is a later letter, that perhaps Paul is trying to guide uh, them to the truth, and that he's also trying to provide 
a slightly different viewpoint of the same issue, an issue maybe he's been thinking about as well. For these reasons, I believe that Paul wrote all three books we discussed tonight, Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, and 2 Thessalonians. And I acknowledge that there are differences between 1 and 2 Thessalonians. I just think 2 Thessalonians is written much later. So why did I put it at this point in the lecture uh, series? Well, for one, I didn't think that 2 Thessalonians was quite long enough to justify its own complete lecture later. And secondly, I'm honoring the scholars that know more than me who put this letter as earlier. So, and thematically, I mean, there are differences, as indicated by the professor I quoted earlier, there are differences between the, the two epistles. That being said, thematically, they still cover very similar issues. And so with that, that will conclude our discussion of Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, and 2 Thessalonians for tonight. Coming up uh, later this week, we will have a podcast where we begin our studies on the book of Romans. I look forward to you guys joining us for that. And until next time, uh, thank you for joining us for the Blue Collar Scholar. Bye, everybody. We hope you have enjoyed this production of the Blue Collar Scholar. I am your host, Will Wrights. Any factual errors made in the preparation or recording of this podcast are unintentional, and your feedback is welcome. You may contact me at thewillwrites at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-W-I-L-L-R-E-I-T-Z at gmail.com. The Blue Collar Scholar is written, recorded, and edited by Will Wrights. The purpose of this podcast is to educate. Use and distribution of this podcast can only be done by the express written permission of the content creator of this podcast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode, and we hope you will be back to download more. And thank you.